Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different. Different. This is NOCO FM. Twelve years ago, I became aware of my personal mission. When I started in private practice as a psychotherapist, I became very clear that my mission was to bring as much love and healing to the world as possible. And a couple years ago, I was able to experience that through a wider platform when I was invited to be a guest on a radio show out of Greeley. And after doing a few episodes there, one day, a year ago in October, I was sitting in my office thinking, how in the world do I get back into radio? I love doing that so much. And literally about three minutes later, I heard a knock on my door and in walked Chris Lamphere. And Chris said to me, hey, have you ever thought of doing your own radio show? And out of that moment, this wonderful excitement and spark for doing radio and creating something wonderful, Chris and I created a vision together of bringing a show that would bring more awareness, more insight, and helping others to cultivate their best life. Over the course of the last year, starting in February, we released our first show with Dr. Larry Bloom. From there, it has been nonstop and just an amazing, truly a blessing in my life for meeting the most incredible guests, having luminaries in the areas of mental health, psychotherapy, neuropsychology, entrepreneurs, subjects of major motion pictures, all kinds of New York Times bestselling authors, and just wonderful real people who have come on to help inspire other people to truly live their best lives. It's been an incredible journey so far, and so this week we'd like to share with you the highlights from those shows, the messages and the inspiration that's helped ignite the spark, and we hope will help you ignite your best life. We begin with my dear friend, Dr. Larry Bloom. Larry is a retired professor from CSU and a psychologist who has been a dear friend of mine since I was 13 years old. He was absolutely the perfect guest to be on my first show. He has been an incredible mentor and friend to me throughout my life, and he shares his wisdom here with us. I think different People in our profession would have different answers for that, but I can tell you what I do. I really identify in an individual that you're talking about right now, two sides of them. One side is afraid, afraid to risk, afraid that something's not going to work out well, afraid that catastrophe is going to happen, not really catastrophe, but you know, it, uh, it's going to be a failure experience. And I sometimes name that side and sometimes I name it Chicken Little. And then I look at the same person and I say, well, look, you know, there's another side to you. And this side is the side that has been strong and has shown strength in your life, even though you've been afraid at times. And it's kind of a, a tougher side. It's kind of a warrior side. So, so what you have to do and the side that's in control of you is the one you feed. So what you have to do is you have to feed the, the, the tougher side, the warrior inside of you. And every time Chicken Little starts to make you afraid and blocks you, 
you have to sound the bugle and you have to call up the warrior and you have to kick chicken little's booty booty <laughs> over and over and over and over again yeah yeah um, cuz the warrior's going to say bring it on bring it on i'm not listening to you anymore in my life you're done and 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 uh that's what i that's what i that's one of the strategies that i use that's a brilliant i love that i love that I'm going to take it. <laughs> we all, we it. all take good things that we hear. I mean, sure. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me actually of, of a gal who, you know, one of the things that she wanted to do was feel more comfortable going out after being married 16 years, feeling like, you know, recently divorced, but didn't have the confidence. You know, it's like, I, I don't think people are going to find me interesting. I don't know that I have anything to offer, anything to say. And so kind of like in the realm of what you're saying, I, I love the whole warrior and chicken little parts, but I said, it, it was the same thing. I said, I want you to try on confidence. Like you would try on an outfit. You're going to get dressed up in to go. She had an event she was going to. And I said, so I want you to think of it first. Think of a time where you felt really confident. That's already a part of you. So I want you to pull that up. Okay, so we did some sessions around just, you know, really pulling up that, feeling it, experiencing it. It's like rewiring it all in your mind, making it fresh. I know I'm this confident person. And I said, then when you go to this event, I want you to try on that outfit and feel you're just going to, we're going to do this like a scientific experiment. Mm -hmm. You walk into the room and your hypothesis is anybody here would love to talk with me. Mm -hmm. I've got something to offer. I have something to say. And I said, so no matter how this turns out, it's going to be fine. You're just collecting data, which gave her kind of, she was able to relax then and say, oh, okay, yeah, this doesn't have to be a big deal. I'm just going to go collect data, try this out. Okay. She comes back the next week and she's like, I found myself in this doorway talking to these two men who are both vying for my attention. And she said, this is it. Terrific. I got it. Boy, <laughs> you that, know, that was a winner right there. That was a winner. And not, not that that happens every time. Right. Of course. Right. But, you know, I, I think there's really something to that. We can call up those parts in ourselves. Yes. When we need to help yes. ourselves get ignited and, and go into the situation that yeah. might not be comfortable or try the new thing that is, in, is unfamiliar to us. Anything else that, that kind of comes to mind? I mean, you've talked about taking inventories. You've got to take action. Any other strategies that can help maybe someone that's out there listening that's saying, gosh, you know, I'd, I'd like to do something. I don't know how to mobilize myself. Yes, it completes the inventory and then take action. So the first step is taking inventory, finding out what it is that you can do, starting small to increase the spark in your life. And then the next step is taking action, making it happen. Here's the third step. No excuses holding yourself accountable. No excuses. Just go for it. Yeah. Way too many people get to the point where they have one excuse after another, after another. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And um, it's very important to hold oneself accountable and not let yourself back out of it and find one, uh, one excuse after another, after another. And then a commitment to some period of time. You're going to do this for some period of time. If you find out that this is the right match for you, wonderful. You'll come back in and you'll say, just like the person said, this is it. This is great. I'm having a great time. If not, we go on to something else.
I remember when I got the email back from Rick Hansen that he had agreed to be a guest on the show. There was lots of jumping up and down, tears in my eyes. Rick Hansen had been, and still is, one of my mentors as far as somebody that I had looked up to during my whole career and had read everything I could possibly get my hands on by him. I remember calling Chris and actually crying on the phone. I was just so excited. So having Rick on the show just opened up a whole new world. I was just so happy to share his new book, Resilient, and share this time with him on the show. It was a fundamental life-changing lesson for me. And the short version of it is that as I grew up in a very decent, loving family, empathy was in short supply as I grew up for different reasons. Both my parents themselves grew up during the Depression. And for different reasons, they were loving people who were not very good at tuning into other people. So they had no idea why they were impacting their kids in the way they were. And uh, I had a lot of sense growing up that my parents were not really that aware of me as a person. So Mm -hmm. even if you're an introvert and a dork, like I am, you still have normal needs for social supplies. And for me, those were like a very thin soup as a kid. Second, uh, I was very young going through school, which is why I ended up in college at 16. And as a young kid and a shy kid, I also had many experiences of feeling dismissed, rejected, unwanted, and left out. Nothing horrible, horrible, horrible. I think of my childhood as kind of a C minus childhood, and I don't want to equate it to the D or F childhoods. Definitely some people, unfortunately, have had. That said, it left me, when I landed in college after leaving home, with what felt like an enormous hole in my heart. Mm. I just did not get enough of the normal social supplies people really need. And then what happened is that in college, in my very first year, I began to notice something amazing that changed my life. And now, 30 years later, as a neuropsychologist, I understand what was happening, which was three things. First, I began looking for good facts, especially good facts related to the whole in my heart, good facts having to do with people liking me or seeing me or including me or wanting me, including very small, mild things in everyday life which is wonderfully hopeful to recognize that it's the little things adding up over time that can really help us. The second thing is that I made myself and I allowed myself to feel something when I noticed a good fact. So I found it and then I felt it rather than doing what a lot of people do, especially people kind of in their heads like I was, who recognize something rationally and then glide right by it. Mm -hmm. Then The most important thing of all was the third thing, which is once I found a good fact and I felt a good fact, I took it into myself. I just intuitively knew that if I kind of marinated in this experience, it had to be going into my body in some far-reaching way, particularly my nervous system. I understood that even back in 1969 and 1970. Over time, I've come to really appreciate now If we marinate in these useful experiences and open to them and just stay with them for a breath or two or three, we really do begin to hardwire them into the fabric of our nervous system so that over time it felt like what I was filling that hole in my heart with really stuck to my ribs and gradually helped me feel increasingly worthy and lovable and and confident and connected with other people.
How long have I had my OtterBox case? I'm sure as long as I've had my iPhone. Never did I think that I would be meeting Kurt Richardson, the founder and originator of OtterBox, and learning from him truly the lessons of how to fail forward and the importance of learning those lessons that our failures are really what give us the lessons to help us move forward. You know, we, we look at someone's life such as yours and we go, oh my gosh, you know, he's such a sure. success. And yeah. pe people can't relate to that part. They just see the end product. Right. They don't see right. all the work behind it. Yeah. Well, people always go, yeah, Otter, what an overnight success. I go, yeah, a 35-year overnight success yeah, with built upon multiple failures. And but also a lot of uh, great learnings, you know, I go, those failures, they're, they're just part of the process. You know, it's just part of, I call life is pretty much progressive revelation. You learn as you hopefully learn as you go along. And I think those that uh, experience success do learn as they go along. And for me, that's, that's been a big part of it is just really taking those, those mistakes, those learning where you're, what you're good at, and what you're not good at. So you're really learning about yourself. Um, I, so many of us never really do that. And I think for me, some of the, the biggest I can go to, I mean, we could talk about financial successes based on failures, or we can just talk about really just learning about oneself, right? Learning about what it's really all about. Yeah, I'm way more interested in that. Yeah, and yeah, I, I kind think, of the philosophy. Yeah, and for me, I think that that was a huge turning point for me in just business is to really go, okay, what is this about? And it's more than just a mind thing, right? It's a heart thing. So really discovering what's in your heart. You know, what when I take that last breath, was it a good life lived? We'll always have regrets, but for the most part, are, am I going to go, yeah, the, I, I lived it full. I, I slid into the hole, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, and it was great, you know, and, and I really do want that. And I, I had to, or I had, it was probably, I would say, 10 years ago when I really, working with my business coach, really got challenged on what matters most. What is your, my, Kurt's primary aim in life, and, and, and what is that? And for me, I really was discovering that I wanted to be able to help others discover who they are and what their talents are and what their gifts are and how do they make the most of those. And I think if you talk to people at Otter, you'd find very much so that that's part of our culture. Um, a lot of it has to do even with, you know, um, after you've been at Otter a year, you get a, what's called a life plan, where you work with a life planner. This is uh, through the Patterson Center. And you actually spend two days with a planner to really map out your life, where you are, what your gifts are, where your talent, where do you want to go? And then how do you work on that? And the accountability part of that, both, both you know, from a financial side, a physical side, a spiritual side, all of those things make us up, right? Yeah. So to be in balance with those things, and I, I'm certainly not always in balance with that. You know, that's that's as I don't think anybody is. No. You know. So, but if you're if you're wrestling with that, asking yourself that question, but I think that's the key. Asking yourself that question, most people never do. It doesn't even come up. You know. So when most entrepreneurs come to me and go, well, how how what's what do I really need to do to get this ball rolling? I, I'm my first question is you better understand what you really want, 
And I didn't do that till I was in my early 30s. So for me, it was like that was a big aha moment. That really helped start to build, you know, talking about the culture of Otter. Even the building we're in today, our headquarters, was very much aligned with the vision I had, what that building should look like, you know, when it's done. Actually, my, my business coach showed me that paper here a couple of years ago. She said, do you remember this? After she came and visited, she says, it's exactly like what you wrote. And I hadn't remembered that. So that's another thing. Write that's it down. Cool. Write yeah, it down. Yeah. Write it down. When you, as you have these goals, these ideas, write them down. You'd be surprised how many of them happen, right? You know? So we, we were given permission to ask. We were created as creators. And that doesn't stop. That just keeps happening. And I can't always explain how or why. I don't, I don't need to. Right. But, you know, for me, it's, it's very much all about that. It's really about saying, just discovering what, who you are, what you want, giving yourself permission to do that, and, but also understanding how that affects everybody around you and the community around you. So whether it's a community at Otter or our community right here in Fort Collins. Few stories have inspired me as much as Weldon Long's. Coming from a life of crime to a life of contribution was an amazing tale that usually only movies and fiction are made out of. Weldon's happened in real life. His story both inspired me and touched my heart very deeply. I was a high school dropout and just kind of a knucklehead. One night on the east side of Denver out on Colfax, I decided I needed to upon a shotgun to raise some money for rent and some food. And I found out very quickly that I could not get enough money for rent and food. And so I ended up picking up a hitchhiker and using that shotgun to hold two innocent men at gunpoint on uh, down in Colorado Springs. We drew, had driven from Denver down to the Springs, which is where I live now. And I uh, went to the penitentiary, did about four years, got out when I was 27 years old. And I was a ninth grade high school dropout, and I was a convicted felon, so I didn't make it. I fell in with some guys I met in the penitentiary, of course. And I went back to the penitentiary at uh, 27, 28 years old, did a couple of years on gun charges and parole violations, got back out again when I was 30. Now I'm a two-time convicted felon, high school dropout, no skills, no education, no job, no nothing. And I went to, uh, got a job in the telemarketing industry, which I should have been suspicious when they hired me. <laughs> Just like, that's a bad sign. Uh, no background checks, apparently. And it was illegal, of course, and did that for about two years until one day the FBI showed up and uh, went uh, to prison for seven years on federal money laundering and mail fraud indictment. From 1987 until 2003, that 16 year span, I spent 13 of those years walked in prison yards. Obviously, at the end of that cycle, I uh, had some really cool things happen, as you mentioned, the abundance. And, uh, but that was kind of the, the obstacle that I was dealing with to get started, kind of put myself a little bit behind the eight ball. You tell this powerful story in your book, The Upside of Fear. And I was sharing with you earlier, I had just listened to that book. And it's, it's so powerful in that it's got sound effects. It's very compelling. But there's some really powerful things that happen to you during that process and one, one of the markers that stood out for me was when your father passed away. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about what happened? Yeah. Yeah, it was June 10th of 1996. I was 32 years old. I had been to state prison twice, and I was 
just starting my my federal prison term on the telemarketing stuff. And on June 10th of 1996, one of the cops walked in the cell house, says, Mr. Long, you should call home. There's some type of emergency. And so I was, you know, obviously like, okay, what's going on? And I called home and learned that my father had died unexpectedly at 59 years old of a heart attack. I'll never forget, I was on the phone and I heard the news, my father died. And the first thing that went through my mind is like, my dad went to his grave with me in the penitentiary again. My father left this earth knowing me as a thief and a crook and a liar. It was pretty overwhelming. You know, it was one of those, uh, those moments of clarity, epiphany, whatever you want to call it. It was like, wow, what have I done with my life? And I started thinking a lot about my dad. And I thought back to a conversation that he and I had uh, a few weeks earlier. It was a Sunday afternoon. I called my dad. And uh, my dad always accepted my collect phone calls. Uh, he, he didn't understand my life choices. He was a career military guy. And so he never understood the life choices I made to, to wind up in the penitentiary three times. But he was always trying to support me and encourage me in every way he could. And we're talking on this Sunday afternoon, and I'm whining about my life and being back in prison again. And at one point in the conversation, my dad says to me, he says, you know, son, he said, your life could be worse. My dad, how could my life be any worse? I'm a, I'm a ninth grade high school dropout. I'm a three-time convicted felon. I've never had a job, never had a home, never had anything. Uh, the only thing I've managed to accomplish in my life is I had a three-year-old son that I had fathered out on parole and that I had abandoned. I said, Dad, I've abandoned my own flesh and blood, my own son. I'm not a father to my own son. How could my life be any worse? And my dad says to me the words that changed my life. He says, son, he says, you're still breathing. And as long as you're breathing, you've got a shot to change your life. And I didn't really understand the significance of those words and being kind of, I wasn't young, I was 32, but I was still very mature. And I didn't really get what he was saying. And so I'm like, you know, thanks, Dad, like thanks for nothing kind of attitude, right? And my father and I exchanged I love yous and I hung up the phone and I never talked to him again. Mm. Two weeks later, he was gone. When he was gone two weeks later, I just, I thought about that conversation. I'm like, I have to change my life. I have to be the son that my father deserved. I have to be the father that my son deserves. And I just kind of saw myself between my son and my father. I'm like, what the hell am I doing with my life? What have I done to the people I love most? My father, son. And I decided on June 10th of 1996, I was changing the course of my life. And that's kind of where it started. When I think about myself in grad school, one of my heroes and my emphasis was on cognitive behavioral therapy. So Dr. David Burns was a huge influence on my life. He has been, to date, the most frequent guest on the show. I've had the privilege of interviewing him three times. I was invited by him to come out to Stanford and get to have a night with his training group and then be a guest on his podcast as well. It truly was a dream come true to get to know Dr. David Burns and spend this special time with him. But enlightenment is something you have to work on all the time because you can you slip in and out of enlightenment. That's what the Buddha said also, you know, 2,500 years ago that we get all enlightened, we see these things and we lower our defenses and, and connect with people. And then, you know, a day, and it seems so easy and seems like you're just going to be in this state of intense joy forever. 
uh, and then two or three days, and that's enlightenment. And then two or three days later, you're back to your ordinary defensive self again, having slipped out of enlightenment, and then you've got to get back into enlightenment again. And that process goes on throughout your life, and I think you get better at it over time, but you 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 never lose your capacity to to fall into that black hole of self-doubt and anxiety or anger or irritability or feeling hurt or inadequate or worthless or hopeless or whatever, ashamed, whatever your thing happens to be when you're down. It, we never lose the capacity for that to, to happen to us. And all that we're doing with team therapy is just trying to develop really high-speed ways to help people pop out, pop out of that state and get back into enlightenment again. It was really an honor to have Michael Kutcher in the studio. His inspiration around redefining disabilities as diffabilities was absolutely amazing. I loved his story and had the distinct privilege of getting to see him after our interview in a live audience give this presentation. And he shares a bit of this story with us today. Yeah, I think everyone's kind of um, at a point where they they hide some of who they are, you know. And uh, I did that for thirty years. No one knew I had a, a disability. In fact, I sat down with a colleague um, a couple nights ago at a happy hour and um, having a conversation with him, telling him that I was doing some recent speaking and kind of my my philanthropy work and. He asked how I got into it, and I told him, and I said, yeah, I, I have cerebral palsy. And he's, he looks at me and he goes, oh, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know you had a disability. And um, for that reason, it's so mild, I, I hit it for 30 years. You know, and you, you talk about kind of emotional disabilities, maybe that people keep inside. Well, let me ask you this. What, what happened at 30? that that helped you kind of lift the veil yeah i i met bella and that was it um you know someone asked me to to speak at a foundation about my at gala about my um my life growing up with cerebral palsy and uh yeah i mentioned that you know it's mild not a lot of people view it uh but you know as you well know my my family has this celebrity aspect to it uh with my brother uh and for people don't that don't know it's ashton kutcher it is yeah and um you know there there was a point in his being a celebrity that that you know there's good things and there's bad things to to being in the limelight uh some good things and one of the greatest things above all is that you know you have the ability to you have a bigger platform and you have the big ability to give back to other people. And he taught me that. Um, and that's why I do what I do. Um, but with that, there's also kind of an unveiling of family dynamics and underlying issues, maybe, of, of family mm -hmm. uh, and celebrity family. And um, one of the things I wasn't comfortable with at the time that he 
he divulged was that I had cerebral palsy. Uh, and I think he did so on like a Nightline show or something. I remember calling him and just saying, you bro, like, what do you, like, well, why are you outing me? Like, why are you doing this? Uh, because it's it's personal to me. And, yeah, I make jokes about it and stuff when I talk to people. Um, but it was, it was scary for me. It really was scary. And what was the fear, Michael? What was, what were you afraid of? Societal views. I mean, yeah, I just spoke about a colleague that didn't even know I had cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, at that point, like, what's your employer going to say? Are, are they going to think that you can't do things as good as your peers? What are your friends going to say? Are they going to kind of maybe baby you a little bit more or think differently of you? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I was single at the time, trying to date women. You know, it's difficult out there dating when, when you have a disability, you know, because people are viewing you differently. You know, so it was very scary and very difficult for me. Um, but then I met Bella, and it was like, I kind of should be ashamed of myself that I'm denying myself having this disability when this beautiful young five-year-old girl that's so vibrant and so happy just to be alive um, is smiling all the time. And uh, that's why I kind of looked in the mirror, and I was like, you know, you due to your brother, you have a bigger platform, you know, you need to, to be Bella's voice. And that's kind of, kind of where all that came about. So that, that was transformative at 30. And you kind of, like you said, you kind of were able to come out of the closet then Yep. about, you know, that, that I've got CP and, mm-hmm. and maybe embrace that and maybe be able to look at it yourself as not such a, a disability, but now that you have the ability to go out and advocate for people that don't have a voice. Yeah, exactly. I think that, you know, that's that's important to do. That's important to just work within that network and and you know, show people that that we all have the ability to achieve greatness. You know, no matter what our disability is. Hey friends, this is Charles with NOCO FM, the podcast network and streaming radio station dedicated to creating diverse shows just like this one and the numerous others that we help produce. We hope you'll consider becoming a supporter on Patreon, which helps us pay our hosts, produce more shows, and allows us to give back to nonprofits in Northern Colorado. Not only do you become part of our community, but giving also gets you access to an incredible selection of exclusive content from all of our creators, starting at just $2 a month. To get started now, just visit noco.fm slash patron and sign up. Once again, that's n-o-c-o dot f-m slash patron. Hope you have a fantastic start to 2019. We've got some big things coming your way. Now, back to the show. It's hard to find modern-day gurus. 
having Philip Goldberg on the show sharing the life of one of our modern gurus, Yogananda, was really quite an incredible experience. What I got from our conversation was this wonderful part of how we have to find this balance between our spiritual selves and just the daily experience of life, that life isn't always easy and that we can learn how to deal with difficulties better when we come from a more centered and spiritual place. Being a spiritual person, cultivating spiritual life, Unless you go off to, I mean, look, even if you were to, you know, renounce the world and go off to a cave in the Himalayas, like Yogananda was tempted to do on many an occasion, because he didn't realize what he was in for when he came to America. But even if you did that, you'd have to deal with, like, how do I get food? And how do I get wood for the fire? And what about this annoying monk in the next cave? <laughs> You know, and things like that. There's no escaping the real life issues that we invariably run up against because we all have our karma and we all have bodies and we all have bodies that need to needs have to be met and so on and so forth. And if you're in the world and you're a family person and you have a job and, and all this, you're going to have ups and downs. When people get on a spiritual path, I know this from all my other work and my own life, the, the initial phase is often so euphoric and so transformative. Things get better and life is happier and life is smoother. And you just sort of imagine it will just get better and better and better and better in this sort of upward trajectory. But then someone betrays you or disappoints you or you lose your job or the economy tanks or, you know, things happen. People die. Big part of the spiritual lessons we have to learn is that, you know, there is this eternal dimension of life where everything is bliss and good, and we want to tap into that. But we're also in this world where things change and people die and people do stupid things <laughs> and life goes on. The serendipity of my interview with Steve Behrman was really quite interesting. Steve Behrman lives in California, and when I had invited him to be a guest on the show, he said, well, this is quite serendipitous because my wife and I are going to be in Fort Collins doing a presentation. So what a cool experience to have him in studio with me and the wonderful friendship that has resulted from that. Steve's work with Dr. Bruce Lipton in the book Spontaneous Evolution absolutely changed my own paradigm and has since forth changed my life. So what I'm hearing is this thing of the universe exists in these polarities and that we have to go through some darkness before we get to the light. Yeah. Um, otherwise, this, otherwise, it would be there once was a little girl and she lived happily ever after. There's no story in between there. So the story is the journey, the hero's journey or the heroine's journey. And now where we are as a species, because our collective impact has been so huge, is that we are now in that passage of the hero's journey for our entire spirit species. So reality TV, reality, that's the greatest show on earth. 
<laughs> Indeed. And and I, I loved one of the things you you all touched on on the book in the book as well, which is if we focus on what's negative now, if we focus on what's negative, whether it's in our political system, whether it's, you know, what's wrong in health, what we're doing then is fostering the disease. Exactly. And this is why the whole, uh, we have three sections of the book. The first is uh, we jokingly taken from my old friends at the Fire Science Theater, everything you know is wrong. And we recognize that how we've, we've misinterpreted things. Second section is the four myth perceptions, which is disproving science being used to disprove certain dogmas of science. The third section is called uh, regrowing the garden, changing the guard and regrowing the garden. It's letting go of the guard that's guarded our hearts from one another. We talked about the one suggestion that we're all in this together, uh, the one commandment, the golden rule. And then we talked about what would happen uh, with, the, with economics. We call it the healthy, wealthy commonwealth. Politics, healing the body politic. And finally, a whole new story, which is, again, the story is what creates our reality. How we weave our reality is what we tell ourselves reality is about. The major motion picture Molly's Game was up for an Academy Award last year. It's the real-life story of Molly Bloom, who ran an opulent poker game in L.A. and New York City and was later indicted by the FBI for her connection to that game. In this clip, Molly shares with us how she came to terms and started healing her life and started finding where the true priority in her life was valuing peace and serenity far above money. That was definitely the darkest time in my life. And it wasn't just because of what had happened. It was more because I became so aware of the darkness inside me because I, who would have expected someone to, that, that was a wrap, you know? Yeah. So like, leave, the wor- leave that world. But like, I was not leaving, you know? I, I, I wasn't going to tell anyone I was going to figure it out. I needed to still run games. I had $3 million on the street. I had a million reasons. And there's this awareness now that like, there's not only enemies without, the enemy is within. And that's the most chilling, mm-hmm. dark place that I think you can be. Um, and that literally I was putting money, greed, power, success over life and liberty. Um, and and I had I had no more control. I, I was out of control. I was, my life was unmanageable. All I had was this thing. I was on, you know, this train was coming off the track. It was derailing. It was a slow motion, you know, like accident. And I just couldn't get off. And it was a total like disconnection, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like you became a slave to the game. Yeah. Total powerlessness. Oh my God. I know you, you dealt with it by yourself since then. Um, ha- I mean, how have you dealt with it now? Did you ever, you know, I, I guess I'm, it's interesting to me because I'm a trauma specialist. Okay. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm like, how, how have you dealt with yeah. that degree of trauma and, you know, keep it from being a fear that, you know, some guy's going to show up on your doorstep again? Um, well, I mean, a couple things. I did some e- EMDR. That's what I'm certified in. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, I did some EMDR. Um, two stints in rehab, which is a lot of a lot of therapy. Um, working some twelve steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think writing the book, and then working with Aaron Sorkin for eight months, telling the story in in intimate detail. I think there was a lot of catharsis in that. And meditation too. Meditation allows you to go to those places that you don't want to look at and look at it and, and sit there with the uncomfortableness of it and the fear of it. And, and then, you know, just kind of work through it, walk through that. One of the people that has had the most impact on my life in the last year is Dr. Jacob Israel Lieberman. I am so deeply thankful for my connection with him and the two episodes that we were able to record together. Jacob has had a profound impact on my life and continues to do so moving forward with his vision of light and love and shift on this planet as we realize our interconnectedness and try to bring about the positive change that we all need to see here in our world. It's our essence that is looking through the persona. That's what's really there. And that's really what my life's work has been all about, is how to get free of as much of that as is possible to have a luminous life. You know, to have a life that that has more light in it, that is lighter, not so heavy, if you will. And this is a very important time for this right now because I don't think there's ever been a time in history where we've had so much havoc throughout the world. And in America, what we're experiencing now is secondary to nothing we've ever seen before. And most of us are walking around with extreme tenseness. We just can't imagine because... What we're seeing happen is so, so opposed to what is natural that we don't know how to assimilate that. And it's making us sick. So this is a really important time for all of us to get in touch with our own guidance, our own what we call intuition, which is really just our response to those subtle light signals. What is that that's moving us? And hang out with those you feel at home with. I always used to say to physicians, don't work with anyone that you don't love. Because if you enter into a situation just because it's a good financial thing or it's just more work, it's not optimal for either party. And it must be, it must be a connection made in heaven, if you will, for it to have the potential of all these non-specific factors to have their profound impact. What more? I just think what you just said is so beautiful. And I think that is the message. Mm, thank you. Thank you. I, I'm, uh, I'm so grateful that we had this time. What I know is that a powerful question comes to us from a source of infinite power, and the powerful answer comes from the same source. But that good question is what elicits these 
profound kinds of answers that we individually don't have. But some, it is known to something and it funnels through us and it makes for joyous, delicious, nourishing conversation that makes our life just work and so on. So, yeah, so I'm really grateful for, uh, for this time and I don't, I almost never listen to interviews or watch videos of interviews that I've been involved in because they're all live. How, where they occur from, I don't know, but each one is the foundation for whatever follows. So it keeps expanding. So anything that I look at it, oh, it's sort of like old news on some level, but some part of me wants to listen to this one because I just have a feeling there that something was captured there and I perhaps it'll impact me in a nice way as well. Well, I know that you have impacted my life so much, Jacob, and Thank I am you. Thank you. so deeply grateful. And I almost feel tears of joy for being able mm. to, Thank to you. share I feel this the time same with way. you. I um, feel so good. I might take myself out to breakfast to where you and I went. <laughs> Well, yeah. I, I wish I could be sitting there with you in, in physical form, but I will be, will be. with you in, in paella, in spirit. Thank you. Thankful for this connection, Jacob, and for all the light that you share with all of us. Thank you, and have an incredibly wonderful holiday season. It's a wonderful time to give, and, and we should be giving every day of our lives. So thank you for the opportunity. Heart to heart. Heart to heart. I'd like to thank all of my guests that were on the show over the past year for their wonderful contribution to making The Spark exactly what it is, a show helping to illuminate people's lives and give them the tools and the different techniques to really truly help them dig in and to live that best life, to discover what that is for each one of us individually. I want to thank NoCo FM and Chris Lamphere for all of his hard work so amazing when I think back on the spark when it first began we had no idea the reach that it would have and now we're in over 50 countries including Venezuela and Nigeria shout out to those guys I'm absolutely tickled when I think about the arms that the spark has now reached around the world and, and is able to embrace. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to the spark. We want to hear from you. So please continue to subscribe to the show. Give us an email. Get a hold of us on Facebook. Let us know the content that you would like to hear or what you've liked about the show. We love your feedback. I'm really excited about the upcoming year and the guests that we have and the stories that they'll be sharing with you. So we're looking forward to continuing to send you the highest quality of show. And one of the important things that I also wanted to say is thank you so deeply to my wonderful friends and family who have supported me in this journey and who have continued to believe in me and this mission to help people ignite their best life. I am so deeply thankful and continue to feel blessed as this medium continues to reach people and ignite their best lives. Thank you for being on this journey with us. This has been a production of NOCO FM.
I'm Stephanie James. Dig it. <laughs> <laughs>